It's no secret that I choose to adopt a plant-exclusive diet for all of the amazing health benefits while simultaneously preserving the lives of the animals I love so much and the health of our planet. I love aligning with brands who share the same values. And that's why this show is brought to you by Greenback, an Australian-made and owned health and wellness company who is completely plant-based and vegan-friendly. Greenback's Better For You range features clean, complete plant protein powders, bars, cookies, and ice creams in a range of different flavors. As well as being high in protein and fiber, the whole range also has the added benefits of being gluten, dairy, and preservative free. So it's fun for everyone. The convenience of having great tasting, high protein plant-based options when I'm on the go has been a lifesaver. My personal favorite is the protein bar that is the sacred combination of dark chocolate and mint. Alongside the great tasting bars, Greenback have also just launched a high protein ice cream, making dessert an option every single night. The salted caramel flavor is heavenly. For friends of the podcast, the team at Greenback have enabled you to get a nice little discount when shopping online. Head on over to www.wearegreenback.com to see a full list of products. And don't forget to use the code EUPHORIAHEALTH at the checkout for 10% off the entire range. I will also have a direct link in the show notes for where you can purchase online. You can also get your hands on the Greenback product range at all major retailers, including Woolworths, Coles, and Chemist Warehouse. All right, let's get back to the show. I think I ovulated four or five days ago, so progesterone's probably peaking, and you know that's what's causing my heart rate to go up, and that's why I just don't feel like I can push it in today's run. And I think if we can approach it with you know that level of I guess maturity or that that trail of thought then we're not letting the cycle get in the way of us trying to do the session we're just acknowledging that if I can't do it in the way that I want to do it maybe it's not just my fault. That my friends was nutritionist Ali McLean and this is the Euphoria Health Podcast. Hey there friends and welcome back to another episode of the Euphoria Health Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sapala. For anyone that is joining in the conversation for the first time, firstly welcome and thank you so much for tuning in. The Euphoria Health Podcast originated from the word euphoria, which is defined as a state of intense happiness or excitement. And that's exactly what I aim to do, cultivate happiness through movement. This show is your one-stop shop for all things holistic health and sustainability. The four in Euphoria also has a deeper meaning and it addresses what I believe to be the four main pillars of holistic health, including nutrition, movement, recovery, and mindfulness. On this show, we engage in insightful conversations to help you build on healthy foundations and set a new benchmark for our health, one that can be sustained for the rest of our life. I don't want to be your quick fix, I want to be your only fix. Now this week on the podcast, I'm joined by a veteran of the Euphoria Health channel, and that's nutritionist Ali McLean. In today's chat, we dive into the female menstrual cycle, firstly providing a background into all of the physiological components involved, and then highlighting all of the lifestyle factors that can impact a quote-unquote normal menstrual cycle. There are a long list of things that can impact 
the menstrual cycle, including nutrient deficiencies, sleep inadequacies, physical and emotional stress, and the list goes on. This chat was extremely insightful as Ali and I spoke from both an individual perspective, i.e. how to take control of your own health, as well as from the eyes of a coach or a trainer, and just how important your role is when programming for female athletes during each stage of a female's menstrual cycle. I'm so grateful for Ali sharing her wisdom this week on the show. It's a topic that is somewhat taboo to talk about, but extremely important to understand. Let's change the conversation by educating and empowering people on ways to understand their own physiology. Don't forget to send this one to a fellow coach who you think will get a lot out of it. Take it away, Ali McLean. Ali McLean, welcome to the Euphoria Health Podcast. How are you, mate? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me back. You're uh, becoming a veteran of the show. I'm not going to butcher the amount of times you've been on the podcast because I (laughs) overshot the mic last time, but we'll we'll welcome you back anytime, mate. (laughs) As long as, you know, people are enjoying listening, that's the the thing that counts. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Before we get into the nitty gritty of today's podcast, I know where both Ali and I are in Melbourne, uh, or Ali's in Torquay, it's very, very windy. So if you hear some background wind, it's not us having deep breaths into the microphone. It's just the wind going through the window. So I thought I'd preface the conversation for that. (laughs) Well, being pregnant, I have found that I'm shorter of breath. So there might be some deep breaths coming from my my side of the mic today. (laughs) Too good. Too good. We both went for a run this morning and we didn't sign up for resistance running, but um, the wind definitely made it that style session. Oh, my God, just proof that there's, well, at least two seasons in 30 minutes in, um, you know, Melbourne slash surf coast. I started my run and it was 18 degrees and sunny. I said to my partner, like, oh, my God, it's so hot today and humid. And then, like, 15 minutes in, this black black sky just, like, came over us and the wind picked up and then it started spitting. I was like, this is so typical. Melbourne, right? Mm. How good, mm. <laughs> Ali. I'm um I'm super pumped to get into this podcast, and I I know we we're chatting on off air before um about what the literature says around eating and training for females in particular for their cycle, and I think this is a really important conversation to have for not only females um, but for males that are in females' lives as well. Whether you're a coach, you're a partner, um, you're a father, you're a brother, I think it's a really important conversation to be had um, so that males can understand what is going on um, yeah. within a female's biology. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's an area where there absolutely needs to be more research. Um, there was a great paper that came out um, Uh, Kelly McNulty and co wrote an article, the effects of menstrual cycle phase on exercise. And they, you know, they basically concluded that at present the data is conflicting. So, you know, there's mixed consensus on how much our exercise is influenced by our menstrual cycle, but there is evidence that it is. So a personal approach really needs to be taken when it comes to you know, planning your training, carrying out your training. Um, and from my perspective, looking at how you can use your nutrition to influence your training over the course of the menstrual cycle. So it's an evolving area. Um, it's hard to do the research in this area. As, as I'm sure we'll get into, there's lots of different hormonal patterns over the course of a female's menstrual cycle. Like there's six different hormonal patterns. So 
to actually do the research and, you know, pay for women who were not on the oral contraceptive pill and look at them at six different stages, different exercises, how they perform, you know, that's weeks and months of basically data collection that costs money. And unfortunately to date, a lot of like women have been excluded from a lot of the research around like exercise science um, and exercise nutrition. Um, And this is, I guess, next level because we're looking at not only how women perform and train, but how do they perform and train based on, you know, six different hormonal patterns over the course of a menstrual cycle. So an evolving area is, is the best way to put it. I can imagine how challenging it would be to conduct research like that specifically because each cycle can change from month to month, right? Like you can't, you can't just conclude that because you had um, the quote unquote perfect cycle with all of the normal biological functions in one cycle that it's not going to change to the next month because it's, it's constantly changing. So the research must be very, very difficult to, to conduct. Yeah, definitely. Um, And it's, it's, you know, cycles changing month on month, but also women understanding their cycles. So if you're going to look at a study group, you know, you'd have to recruit women and then teach them about their cycle and then understand whether they have a regular predictable menstrual cycle. Uh, so yeah, quite, quite challenging, but yes, menstrual cycles aren't always the same. You know, we have a textbook menstrual cycle, which is 28 days and I would you know call that textbook or an idealized version of a menstrual cycle but really the cycle can fluctuate you know plus or minus two days ideally not much more than that any given month and the hormonal fluctuations over the course of that cycle can vary uh you know let's call it month to month as well Also keeping in mind that this is relevant for women that aren't on hormonal contraception. So important for trainers to be aware that um, if a client is on the combined oral contraceptive pill or the OCP, or if if they have the Implanon, or if they're using Depo-Provera injections, and for a lot of women that use Mirena, which is a hormonal IUD, they they won't follow what we're going to talk about today. So they, they sit outside the category of women with a menstrual cycle because they technically don't have a menstrual cycle. Some women on the Mirena do. They will have these hormonal fluctuations, um, but it's not, it's not categoric. So I would generally say that anyone on a hormonal contraceptive doesn't follow or, you know, won't sort of, I guess, fit into the category that we're talking about today, which is women with a menstrual cycle. Do you want me to talk about the different phases and go through that? I was actually just about to, I guess, preface the conversation with a broad overview of of what their quote-unquote textbook menstrual cycle looks like, just to paint the picture. Yeah. Um, So a lot of people think of a female cycle as being, you know, first half, second half. And this, let's say for somebody with a relatively good level of knowledge of the cycle, they would be aware that there is a first half to the cycle, which we call our follicular phase, and then there is a second half to the cycle, which we call our luteal phase. Um, And, you know, those with a rudimentary understanding of the cycle would appreciate that, you know, first half 14 days, second half 
um, 14 days. So therefore you get a 28 day cycle in this idealized um, version of the menstrual cycle. But within those two halves, so the follicular and the luteal, there's, there's varying hormonal patterns. And these patterns can be quick as, you know, two days worth of a pattern or as long as, you know, four to seven days worth of a pattern. So there's lots of fluctuations. So in the early part of the menstrual cycle, we can loosely refer to this as the early, early follicular phase, or this is when someone will actually have their period. So we start the cycle at day one, and then that early follicular phase or that period might be anywhere from two to seven days, hopefully not less than that, and really hopefully not more than that, ideally somewhere between like two and five days. Um, this phase of the cycle is categorised by low hormones. Um, so when we're talking low hormones, low estrogen, low progesterone levels at this time. That's then followed by the later follicular phase. So that's maybe say roughly day seven to day 12 in this textbook cycle. Uh, and this is where we're getting a big rise in estrogen and still really low levels of progesterone. We might also have, or we will have a little bit of a kick in testosterone here as well. Then ovulation takes place. Um, so that's the releasing of the... Um, the follicle from the ovaries, and that's then followed by the second half or the luteal phase. And within here, there's three different patterns. So the early luteal is, you know, quickly rising progesterone, moderately elevated estrogen. Mid luteal is peak progesterone and elevated estrogen. And then the later luteal is where estrogen and progesterone both peter off and the period will follow. And hence, you know, we start the cycle again. So it's definitely not as simple as saying we have a first half and a second half. And it's also not as simple as saying, you know, we have a, a higher progesterone, higher estrogen half and a higher progesterone half. And even the way I've just described those, those six patterns over the cycle um, would be a simplified version of it as well. So there's a bit going on. <laughs> And those hormones change how we how we function and how we and how we feel. And sometimes it's really subtle. So we don't notice all of that. We just get to the, you know, we just get to the pre-period phase, which is, you know, the time of the cycle that I think needs a um, you know, a bit of an overhaul or a rebranding or a new PR company behind it. And that's, you know, this PMS phase pre-period. And that's that's commonly all we really talk about or joke about, you know, which is the moodiness or the irritability or the quick to react or um, for some women it might be lower back pain or some crampiness that starts to appear before the period comes. And it's unfortunate that that is the time of the menstrual cycle that most people, you know, come back to and refer to when they remember, um, but there's actually a lot of fluctuations happening over the cycle as we've just talked about yeah definitely it's interesting to to hear conversations surrounding the menstrual cycle and that is almost like the main event and I, I, I second what you said about um it needs a new PR company it needs a rebrand and I think it also needs 
education and understanding for people if you're going to you know make those jokes about those sorts of things have a full in-depth understanding of what is actually going on um during each of those phases and then it might give you some understanding of what females do combat during this time without Mm. having those jokes yeah and it's not it's not men like we can't say that uh it's it's you know it's only men that simplify the cycle down to like pre-period pms uh women are as in the dark as a lot of men are when it comes to understanding their cycle. Uh, Particularly women, I think, more of perhaps my generation, so like mid-30s, where the oral contraceptive pill was maybe used more freely, liberally, uh, you know, in late teens and 20s. And so I'll get a lot of women coming to see me who are in their 30s and they're thinking about conceiving or they've just reached a point in their life where they're like, you know what, I'm ready to come off the pill. Um, Or they had done that two to three years prior. But then when we sit down and we start talking about how long is your cycle? How regular is your cycle? How long is your period? Do you know when you ovulate? These are questions that women have a really hard time answering. And something as simple as um, how often do you get your period is often answered, oh, it comes every month. Now, every month is not really a good enough response because you could have a period that comes early May and you could have a period that comes late June and that's every month, but that's not understanding how many days there were between, you know, the first day of that period one and the first day of that period two. And that's the cycle, right? So day one of the period to day one of the next period, that is the complete cycle. And if that's more than 35 days for a, a you know, a woman with, who's supposed to have a mature cycle, then that's a red flag that something's gone wrong over the course of that cycle. Or if that's less than 21 days, it's a red flag that something's gone wrong over the course of that cycle and potentially what we would call an an ovulatory cycle. So that that main event in the middle of the cycle of ovulation hasn't taken place. So even something as basic as how regular and how long is your cycle, for some women that is like delving into that level of detail is like, whoa, I really should have known this, but I don't know this. So we can't just say that men need to learn more. We can say in general, We all need to be educated early in life on what the menstrual cycle is and and we all can use that information to to our benefit to really empower us later in life, whether it be around fertility or conception or the way we eat or the way we train, you know, understanding the cycle can influence all of those things. Beautifully said, Ali, I think like we're going to unpack later in the conversation there's so many factors that can impact the um i guess the regular uh regular cycle and how all of these external factors can have an impact on that and i think you hit the nail in your head the head beautifully that it's not only males that need to understand this it's also females i get a number of females coming to me and not being able to answer those simple questions as well because they're not sure and mm. it's not anyone's fault because the information isn't you know as easily accessible um as some other things well i say that loosely when we got the age of the internet but you get what i'm saying it, it yeah. it's not as spoken about as um as freely so i think conversations like this and education pieces like this are really really important for that yeah for sure yeah hopefully this just creates some light bulb moments for people to hear that oh okay there are these 
there are these changes happening over the course of my cycle and this is why and this is how I can leverage it and this is how I can can work with it. Definitely. Ali, I think a, a fantastic place to start would be just a quick summary of things that, you know, can impact uh, the quote-unquote normal normal cycle length, normal cycle um, biological effects as well. Just before we take this conversation any further, I know we both know this, but for people that are new to this, things like exercise, nutrition have such a big impact and stress and all those sorts of things. So I'll hand the floor over to you and just give us a quick overview of things that can impact that. Yeah, well, you know, those things top of the list, exercise, nutrition, stress, I call it, let's say, a wobbly or a wonky cycle. So if Suddenly a female is going from having a regular cycle that's, you know, 28 plus or minus two days and there's suddenly a 21 day or a 35 day or something more or something greater. I would look at that as a really big indication that the cycle's starting to go wobbly and, you know, that that lifestyle needs to be looked at because there will always be a reason as to why a cycle is shorter or longer or, in reality, why an anovulatory cycle has taken place. I would categorise it as either being affected by hormone replacement, so, you know, the, the oral contraceptives um, would impact that. We've already talked about it, but it's just important to highlight that that does change, stop, pause the menstrual cycle. Um, stress and that stress could be psychological stress and pressure or that stress could be nutrient associated. So it could be a relative energy deficit, which we talked about in our last interview where we went into depth um, into REDS, relative energy deficit in sports. Um, It could be just simply a macronutrient deficiency, in particular carbohydrate. Not having enough carbohydrate can be the impetus for for the messages between the hypothalamus, the pituitary and the ovaries to basically break down. So, or not break down, but for the message to be, you know, ovaries don't ovulate this month. Um, So carbohydrate deficit alone can do that. And for some women, that's something as, you know, relatively safe or normal as 120 grams of carbohydrates per day. Usually it's less than that. That's, you know, much less than 120 grams, which is going to be the point in which a cycle is, you know, impacted. But there's also lots of micronutrients that can start to affect it. So if there's deficiencies, especially in the plant-based community, this is, these are big risk areas of iron, iodine, iodine, um, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin A. <laughs> um, they would be the primary ones, like micronutrient deficiencies. But the list does go on. Um, CoQ10, choline, essential fatty acids, this can disrupt the cycle from coming as it should. Uh, And then like the stress of overtraining, so that contributing to a relative energy deficit. There can also be conditions which contribute to stress. So that could be, for example, infections, um, pathogenic overgrowths in the gut, parasitic presence in the gut, for example, Or it might be something else quite major, like an undiagnosed celiac disease, for example, which um, might be having an effect on the cycle. So it's quite broad. For for most women, um, the effect on the cycle would be, oh, and and sorry, there are conditions like PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, 
um, which we've also spoken about on the show, which can disrupt the cycle, um, but it doesn't have to disrupt the cycle, only when it's untreated. So they would be some of the things or the main categories that would impact the cycle. I think a lot of those are, are somewhat out of reach for the day-to-day person doing these things or testing these things on their own. So that's why working with, you know, a practitioner and, and people like the likes of yourself to dig a little bit deeper and find the root cause is really, really essential. But um, yeah. just for a base overview, there's so many factors that you can see that go into creating um, those normal biological responses. Yeah, and it's really important to understand what's doing it because often I'll get women that come and see me and they've e- they're either in a state of hypothalamic or in a state of amenorrhea, so they haven't got a menstrual cycle, or it's irregular and they want to they want to try and get it more regular. And so I just put my detective hat on and it's basically, you know, working through all the possible options and, you know, crossing out the ones that we know are not contributing to the irregularities or absence and then narrowing it down to, okay, well, it's this and it's that. So we're going to focus on these areas. Uh, it's really a process of elimination, but you have to you have to keep chipping away at it because there will always be a reason as to why a, a, a menstrual cycle is missing or irregular. And it's not good enough to simply say that, uh, you know, I have a 50-day cycle or oh, my doctor suggested I can go on the contraceptive pill and that would that would give me back a regular cycle because that is also not creating a regular cycle. It's just masking whatever it was that was taking your period away or stopping ovulation from happening and giving you a fake bleed. Definitely, Ali, and I think it's important to emphasize the point that investigations like this can take some time to get to the bottom of you know the root cause and actually then once you've got the got the answer then working towards to getting that back to back to normal can take some time so um allowing I guess the patients and understanding that you know these things do take time to get back to to um normal functions definitely it's it's definitely not an overnight fix (laughs) um sometimes it's relatively quick but uh when there's a lot of investigation and troubleshooting to do then it can take time and and that's why it's important to have a practitioner that you trust and um you have a good rapport with so that you know that you know you guys are heading in the right direction definitely hey friends just a quick word from a sponsor of the show and then we'll get right back to it My Euphoria Health community would know that I adopt a plant-exclusive diet, a diet that is often labelled as lacking nutrients. While majority of the essential nutrients can be attained from a plant-rich diet, there are some nutrients that need a little extra love. Lucky for us plant-based folks, Emil have formulated the Essential 8 Multinutrient, which features some key nutrients that plant-based eaters may fall short on. The eight key nutrients formulated in the capsule include omega-3, iodine, selenium, iron, vitamin D3, vitamin B12, calcium, and zinc. Conveniently, just two capsules per day provide me with the ability to bulletproof my plant-rich diet as well as ensuring I'm not falling short on any nutrients of focus. I personally take two capsules of Essential 8 every day with breakfast, which ensures I can maintain my vital, bubbly self and continue to promote active living within the community. The best part about it is that Emil have taken the hassle out of the reordering process through their monthly subscription model. 
Essential 8 just arrives at my doorstep each month, no questions asked. To get yours, head to www.emil.com forward slash Euphoria Health. That's www.eimele.com forward slash Euphoria Health and use the code Euphoria Health at the checkout for an extra 5% off your first order on top of the generous subscription discount. I will also have a direct link in the show notes. All right, let's get back to it. Now, I think a fantastic point of the conversation to talk about would be breaking down some of these phases in depth and talking about some of the things that, you know, we should be potentially avoiding including to help, you know, benefit us through these stages and not experience those uh, those harsher sort of symptoms or harsher sort of effects, providing that things are working optimally. Um, mm. I think from a, a broad overview, majority of the, the listeners of this podcast are going to be moving their body at least three times per week and eating, you know, whole foods at least 80% of the time. So um, from a, I guess, a basis of health foundations, that's probably a place to talk from the conversation from. Um, everyone's very health conscious in this in this field. So I think that's probably a good place to start and understanding that it's a very complex topic and there's so many factors to talk about, um, I guess, is really important as well when having these sorts of conversations. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Do you want to have a look at how these hormonal fluctuations might change, might change somebody's exercise, wants, nutrition over the course definitely. of the cycle? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the way that I tend to break it down is, you know, um, follicular ovulation and luteal. And I'll caveat with this. I'll caveat this by saying that just as I said at the beginning, the research on this is really primitive. So we are looking at what we understand about these hormones, estrogen, progesterone in particular, and how they influence a female's physiology. How that then goes on to influence how somebody trains is definitely going to be individual. So in listening to this, please just please just know that uh, you have to you have to take it with a grain of salt, play with it, learn from it, and you know build it into your training as you see fit. But I also talked about this multiple times. Um, I was recently interviewed for um, the wellness section of the Herald Sun magazine on this, and people there are light bulbs like, ah, oh, okay. Um, this is why I have, you know, more in the way of cravings in my um, luteal phase. But let's go back firstly to the follicular phase um, and the period. So technically speaking, when, you know, when we're, we're on our period, um, it is a lower hormone phase. Um, so we should actually be able to train quite well you know there's been world records broken by women who are on their period so we shouldn't necessarily be afraid of it however I do acknowledge that for some women this stage of their cycle can be accompanied with cramping sometimes lower energy and I would argue that those things need to be addressed because there's um, you know factors there cramping could really be addressed by taking care of infl inflammation and using things to help with inflammation. So looking at dietary triggers for excess inflammation, looking at magnesium adequacy and working with that to reduce cramping. 
And then in terms of low energy, if someone's really feeling zapped during their period and or if that's accompanied by headaches, then that to me is a signal that iron needs addressing and that for some women is the little red flag that go and get your iron studies um, tested by your doctor and, and see where they're at because you could really be feeling the effects during that period when you're losing blood. Outside of those scenarios, some women can train really well while they've got their period. Oh, and I'll also say heaviness, sorry, (laughs) a heavy menstrual bleed. Um, I work with this a lot in the clinic. So for, you know, those who've not experienced it, heavy menstrual bleeding can be really debilitating, you know, to the point if you feel like you're not going to be able to see out an hour or two hours with the one pad or the one tampon, you know, that can really affect how someone exercises, you know, they'll be scared to go and train for an hour if they're worried about you know, leaking over the course of that hour. But I would also say that that heavy menstrual bleeding will have a cause and that needs to be identified and addressed to remove that variable over the course of the period. Throughout the rest of the follicular phase, this is where, generally speaking, there is unopposed estrogen. So there's a big rise in estrogen, but there's no rise in progesterone, which means that the effects of estrogen should be greater or enhanced. Now, estrogen is anabolic. So the data that we do have access to suggests that it increases the anabolic result to exercise. So this may result in greater increases in muscle mass at this time of the cycle. Um, It may be associated with more motivation to train. This is where women, if there's going to be a time in their cycle, would be like doing their PBs. And this is a time where they should, you know, be encouraged to be working towards PBs or pushing, you know, pushing the the reps, the heaviness, the sets, um, because technically they are in a hormonal phase where they're better suited to doing that. So motivation's greater, recovery should be greater at this time, um, and the potential gains are also greater at this time. I'll also say that because of the unopposed estrogen, we tend to be more insulin sensitive at this time of the cycle. So uh, insulin being that hormone which helps to normalize blood glucose levels. Um, That's a good thing because too high insulin will promote fat storage and um, therefore promote cravings, which I'll come back around to. But an increase in insulin sensitivity basically means that we deal with carbohydrates better. We use carbohydrate better and we can also use fat better. So we will not need as much carbohydrate to fuel, let's say, extended training. So if anyone here is, you know, doing more endurance training on a bike for a couple of hours, you know, any anything that lasts longer than, you know, 90 to 120 minutes, the need for actual fueling during that training session could be less for a lot of women in this follicular phase of the cycle. And Anybody who's like quote unquote dieting for want a better of a better term or trying to lose body fat and maybe looking for hopefully a moderate deficit in energy, 
this stage of the cycle will be easier to do that because we are more insulin sensitive. So we deal with food better. We don't get as much in the way of cravings because of the potential for, you know, PBs being able to push the boundaries, working a bit harder this stage of the cycle. I really want to make sure that women are taking care of their protein level, their protein intake appropriately. So, um, you know, they're having adequate amounts of protein post-training, at least 20 to 30, or not at least, but 20 to 30 grams of protein in the hour, if not the half hour post-exercise to really maximise the potential uh, muscle protein synthesis at, at this time of the cycle. Moving on to ovulation. Estrogen peaks here, so everything that I've just talked about is just is is greater at this this stage. Um, this is where the potential for the personal best is going to be better, um, and strength and force are are um, well geared towards you know being at their peak. That's a relatively short phase, though. So moving on to the luteal phase, this is where there is still estrogen, not as high as it was in the follicular phase, but it is opposed by progesterone. So progesterone is really the dominant hormone at this stage of the menstrual cycle. Now, progesterone's not, not a bad, not a bad hormone. In actual fact, I would say if people were to be asked just, you know, like a random, I don't know, Q and A on the street, they would probably, um, identify as estrogen as being the bad guy and progesterone as being the good guy. Usually, you know, we hear of people seeing, saying like estrogen dominance or estrogen causes my PMS. Um, it's actually a, a, a mismatch between the amount of progesterone and the amount of estrogen. So progesterone is supposed to be our really calming, soothing hormone. When we don't make enough of it, that's when we don't get that calming and soothing benefit from progesterone. And, you know, a precursor to not making enough progesterone is not ovulating. So all of those factors we talked about before that impact the cycle length will impact ovulation and have a flow-on effect to progesterone or stress. Stress is a big one that will um, lead to not enough progesterone um, and you know, nutrient deficiencies and those things that we talked about earlier. So progesterone definitely has some benefits to it, um, but progesterone can also really influence, um, I guess, the other side of the coin when it comes to training. Um, And that is that it increases our metabolic rate. So people are probably listening to this like, oh, awesome. Um, It does. It increases our, our metabolic rate, our resting metabolic rate. Um, which, you know, means that our temperature rises. And as a result of that, it can really change how we train. So it can it can decrease time to fatigue. It can increase our perceived rate of um, exertion. Um, and that can be all amplified if we happen to be training, you know, in hotter weather or more humid environments or we're already fatigued or we're already dehydrated. So that is what I would say is really something to take on board 
for women to take on board when it comes to this luteal phase of their menstrual cycle is understanding that fundamentally their heart rate's going to be higher. And therefore it's not a matter of saying, well, don't train as hard in the luteal phase. It's more a matter of understanding you may not be able to train as hard in the luteal phase. So if you notice that, like if you are someone that's looking at heart rate data um, while you're training, running, whatever it is that you may be doing, don't get angry with yourself or frustrated with yourself, berate yourself, talk down, just acknowledge, okay, well, you know, I ovulated or I think I ovulated four or five days ago. So progesterone's probably peaking and, you know, that's what's causing my heart rate to go up. And that's why I just don't feel like I can push it in today's run. And I think if we can approach it with, you know, that level of, I guess, maturity or that, that trail of thought, then we're not letting the cycle get in the way of us trying to do the session we're just acknowledging that if I can't do it in the way that I want to do it maybe it's not just my fault or I'm not pivot yeah not that I'm not strong enough or Mm. don't have the willpower it's just that my physiology is different you know this week versus 10 days ago I think that's such an important part to highlight in the conversation as well because I deal with with people that are going for when I say people, females that are going through the stages of our programming within a, like a typical four-week cycle, and you may have hit those numbers, let's use a deadlift for argument's sake, you may have hit those numbers earlier on in, in, in that program, which may be earlier on in your cycle, and then you go to do that in two weeks later, two weeks' time, which is at a later stage in your cycle, and all of those symptoms that you uh, spoke about before, the increased perceived rate of exertion, it feels tougher, you can't complete the allocated reps, there is, you know, potentially a reason behind those sorts of things. So it's not to say that what you're doing is incorrect. It's just pivoting within that realm. And I think that's where, you know, a trainer's, um, I guess, guidance is really, really important to understand that and to not, you know, put a negative um, association with that. Yeah, there hasn't been a sudden, you know, detraining effect in the last 10 days (laughs) is the important takeaway. Now, because of that increased BMR, basal metabolic rate, there is an increased requirement for energy, like all macronutrients and, you know, therefore energy to come in at this stage of the cycle. That coupled by slightly less um, willpower. <laughs> um, <laughs> so these two aren't a great mix and also adding the fact that we're less insulin sensitive at this time of the cycle. Um, so research does show that something like 80% of women in the luteal phase will give into cravings at least 50% of the time. And I think we just need to learn about what's going on here to try and prevent those cravings because, you know, sometimes those cravings may not eventuate to actually eating the Tim Tam. It might end up being a chalk protein ball, but psychologically those cravings are bloody annoying and they undo a lot of goodness when someone's mentally battling with like, I feel like the Tim Tam don't have it. I feel like it don't have it. You know, it's not, it's not a great cycle to be in. So if we can acknowledge that this half of the cycle, we need more energy. It's not easy to categorize how much more energy we need Um, It could be anywhere from like 80 extra calories a day to 270 extra calories per day. So it's Uh not a lot. It's not not a a full serving of fat. It's, you know, a decent serving of protein or some extra carbs or a combination of all of them. 
But I think if women can be proactive and give themselves that little bit more, it may prevent the cravings from coming later in the day. We're also more insulin sensitive at this time. So this is where you really want to be on the front foot and say, okay, well, I'm not going to tolerate bread, chocolate, ice cream, anything refined or processed very well. So I really need to make sure that I have something that is high in fiber that's still going to hit the spot that I have access to to uh, to help with my increased energy energy demands and my you know lack of willpower. So this is where you do make the chalk protein balls. So they're they're sitting there in the house for your luteal phase, and you can have them when there's a little bit of a craving, as opposed to getting you know the vegan chocolate, which is still highly refined and not going to do anything to take away from those cravings. It'll just add to the cravings really. Um, Staying really well hydrated here and adding extra electrolytes can help with those cravings. You know, so um, if you're not drinking straight after a training session, then my God, start doing that. Like make sure it's at least 600 mil of water, if not more, if you know what your sweat rate is like. And if you don't know what it's like, you can test it. You know, just literally do a basic sweat test and see how much you're losing over the course of the session and bring some electrolytes into that. And you don't have to buy, you know, sugar containing electrolytes. You can literally just make up a bottle with a pinch of salt, the juice of half a lemon, tiny bit of, um, rice malt syrup if you need that flavor shake that up and have that as you know like your post-training hydrator or an electrolyte replacement and that can be really helpful in this luteal phase of the cycle i actually used that recipe that you gave me ali when i was doing um the marathon and half marathon training and i I loved the taste of it so much that i was incorporating (laughs) it all the time as opposed to like your your sports drinks and your um your hydrolytes and stuff not to say that they don't have a place but yeah yeah they absolutely do sometimes but if it's you know if it's a whole week of every month or if it's two weeks of every month then you don't want to be chewing you know chewing through packaged electrolytes or you want to know what ingredients you're having or you don't want the refined products that are in a lot of those electrolytes like making that at home version is so it's it's cost effective it's it's healthier uh, and it's super accessible but we're talking literally a pinch of salt so if anyone is thinking about going and making this we're talking a pinch of salt you know like just enough to feel it between your forefinger and your thumb if you were to pinch it out um it wouldn't even be a quarter of a teaspoon necessarily the pinch is so uh universally different when you're talking about scales the italian pinch is like a whole palm full and <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's why i thought i would categorize it so i had a client the other week who's like oh yeah i like to light um my water after i train oh yeah how much a half a teaspoon of salt oh you're doing that twice a day all right let's pair back <laughs> <laughs> very important part <laughs> A pinch, a pinch. Uh, Magnesium can also help. I actually think most women and maybe men should be taking magnesium all month round, especially if you're likely training um, in the amounts that I think your listeners are. But particularly in this luteal phase, a good magnesium supplement, you know, like a magnesium chalate, 
um, for example, will really support insulin sensitivity and therefore the cravings. It'll support hydration towards like closer towards the period. It can also really help with the cramping that can start to present. And then during the period, it can really help with cramping. Um, so yes, you can get magnesium from your foods, you know, your deep green veggies and seeds and nuts. But I think having a quantifiable amount of magnesium coming in from a good quality supplement makes a huge difference and a far more quantifiable difference to um, how somebody then trains and feels. I can't tell you the number of women who have come in complaining of PMS, pain and cramps to the point where they might have to you know, medicate with Nurofen on their period. And then we use magnesium like just for one cycle. I Ideally, you'd give it three cycles to really see how it works, but we use it for one cycle and it completely changes the game. Um, yeah. And that's, that's life-changing because it means people don't have to take a day off work or, you know, be popping Nurofen um, two or three days of the cycle. It's also researched. It's also researched to show that magnesium will reduce cravings. I don't have the paper run in front of me. I can give it to you after this, but, um, you know, there's good evidence to show that it will reduce cravings. Yeah. Amazing. Ali. This podcast is brought to you by Emil, a health and wellness company backed by science to help you become the most vital version of you. Greens powders can often be clunky, grainy, hard to digest, and can leave you feeling bloated. Luckily for you, Emil, alongside leading scientists and expert formulators, have designed Shine Greens. Shine Greens is a perfectly curated blend of over 60 nutrients, which can support digestion, reduce bloating, improve vitality, and support your overall health and well-being by assisting the body's natural detoxification process. I personally take Shine Greens daily. Just one sachet in my daily smoothie leaves me feeling energized enough to continue to do the job that I love the most, which is promote health and active living to my community through the power of movement. To get yours, head to www.emil.com forward slash Euphoria Health and click on Shine Greens. That's www.emile.com forward slash Y-O-U, the number four, I-A Health. And use the code Euphoria Health at the checkout for a nice little discount. It's important to note that any modifications to your diet and lifestyle should be done so under the guidance of your healthcare practitioner. All right, now let's get back to the show. How important do you think or what does the research suggest in terms of timing of these sorts of, I guess, supplements as well as the um, those chocolate bliss balls that we spoke about before and the electrolyte drinks in terms of prevention towards these cravings? Is there anything to speak about that in terms of having, you know, those including the date balls before the cravings arrive um, yeah. as opposed to addressing it as a time? Is there anything to speak to that? Yeah, in terms of timing, because I'm hot on timing, um, there is some literature around it, but just not anecdotally, but evidence from the clinic, you know, over six years of working with people. Um, number one is that post-training window. And I think this is relevant for all stages of the cycle. So I'll sort of step away from, you know, looking specifically at the luteal phase here, but all stages of the cycle women should be aiming to eat a recovery meal in the 30 to 60 minutes post-training. 
it should have the 20 to 30 grams of protein in there. You know, the higher the intensity of the training, the more carbohydrates required. And I say a good starting point is 50 to 60 grams of carbohydrates, which might be, you know, a big banana and half a cup of berries, for example, um, or two slices of a, you know, good quality bread or a gluten-free bread. And, you know, more if it was a much longer training session or a much, uh, you know, a, a very high intensity training session. If it's lifting weights for 45 minutes and whole body um, and a normal level of exertion, I would say that 50 to 60 grams of carbohydrate will suffice. If it's doing it for more than 60 minutes or doing an endurance session, um, especially with intervals, then I would say, yeah, bring in more than the 50 to 60 grams of carbohydrate. And then, of course, we want to bring in fiber and fats for good blood sugar control and satiety. But it's amazing how much that recovery meal can then change somebody's risk of cravings later in the day. That that half an hour to 60 minutes post-exercise is where we, we deal with carbohydrate much better. Um, so what's called our glycogen synthase enzyme is much more active in that post-training window basically means we take carbohydrate and we shuttle the stored form into our muscles with less challenge at that at, at that time post-training. Um, I like to explain it to my clients like our carbohydrate stores are like a sink and over the course of the training session you are going to drain that sink. So in order to um, avoid cravings later in the day because your body wants to try and recoup the sink, fill it up proactively with good quality carbohydrates in the half hour to 60 minutes post-training and take note of how later in the day you're not thinking about um, the poorer quality carbohydrates or there's much less chance that you're thinking about those poorer quality carbohydrates. So post-training is a, a really important time. The other one is looking at when you're having your first meal or at least your first like dose of protein. Um, so there is a theory around protein um, that if you don't have it earlier in the day and certainly if you don't have it by 10 a.m., that your body will be trying to play catch up for the rest of the day and it doesn't, it's not necessarily sensitive enough to tell you like you need protein unless you're a nutritionist or a trainer and you're always thinking about like what you've consumed that day and whether you, your macros are right and you've hit your micro requirements. Um, the general person won't be able to discern. They'll just be getting this message of you need to eat. So get on the front foot. Um, I don't let a lot of my female clients um, who are premenopausal to fast beyond 10 a.m. And if you just can't eat, then have a protein shake, like get your quality um, protein and shake that up with um, some nut milk or water and have that before 10 o'clock. But ideally you'll have a full meal with protein and the other ingredients. And that's if you're not training first thing in the day and therefore not, I guess, um, having a post-training meal early in the day. They're my two biggest requirements around um, nutrient timing uh, to reduce stress, prevent cravings, um, and optimize recovery for women. 
Beautifully summarized. I think branching off that from a trainer's perspective, using that scale that we spoke about before, the perceived rate of exertion. And if as a trainer, you're not utilizing this throughout your session for all your clients, not only your females, I think it's a great inclusion. Um, for a quick overview, if you've ever heard of perceived rate of exertion before, it's usually a scale between one and 10, one being, and it's categorized by how that movement felt and how challenging that that particular movement was. Um, you can use it for individual movements or overall sessions um, throughout the day and the week um one being really really easy got heaps of room to increase and 10 being super super challenging more of like your pb your one rep maxes so finding that sweet spot in between there um is a fantastic like scale to use um as a trainer and particularly through the luteal phase not hitting those 10 out of 10 pres is um and training consistently within those 10 out of 10 pres is is probably a good place to start yeah definitely and you know, not not necessarily tiptoeing around the subject. So um, just acknowledging that the menstrual cycle is a completely normal part of, um, you know, female physiology. And if it's not there, then something's wrong. Um, so as a trainer, just, just feeling confident enough or feeling like, you know, not embarrassed to actually say to your, your client, Hey, um, where are you in your cycle? If you're noticing um, that PRE um, going up, but you know, oddly, so they're not sick, they haven't been sleep deprived over the last two weeks. Um, you're trying to figure out why it's going up. So, you know, for the same amount of um, actual output. So, yeah, where are you in your menstrual cycle? And obviously, trying to discern between women that have a menstrual cycle versus those that are on. Um, hormonal contraceptive because that will change right so if you're asking where are you in your menstrual cycle it's really only relevant to those that are cycling they could be premenopausal perimenopausal um, but it's not relevant to someone who's postmenopausal or on the oral contraceptive pill but there's nothing wrong with asking it and then justifying the question by saying you know what there is a chance that because of where you're at, you you know, you've just told me your period's due in five days. Because of where you're at, that might be why you feel so rubbish today. Might be why that perceived rate of exertion is a little bit higher. Or if you're looking at heart rate data, it might be why that heart rate's a little bit higher today. And then, of course, you're looking at the other factors that could be changing those things. Yeah, sleep, illness stress, overtraining, you'd be looking at all of those things, but you can include the cycle in the mix. Now, Ali, we spoke about ways that trainers can, I guess, identify periods where their female athlete might be at what stage they might be on their cycle. What's a really telltale sign for individual females to know what stage they're at within their cycle? I know there's a few external factors that we can go through, um, but do you have any tips for for females out there? Mm. Um, I think the key thing to be aware of with the menstrual cycle is that what what's most visible is the period, okay? So um, the period is what signifies the start of the menstrual cycle, but it's actually not the main event. It's not the hero of the menstrual cycle. It's just the really sort of overt and obvious part of the cycle. What we're actually wanting to track and confirm is ovulation, now, ovulation takes place somewhere in the middle of the cycle. 
it's never going, not never, but it's not always a cookie cutter, you know, split down the middle, you know, day 14 of a 28 day cycle. Um, So it's really important to understand, okay, well, what can I do to figure out where I'm ovulating? There are apps, you know, females listening might be aware of apps they can download like Flow um, or I think it's Cycle Tracker or there's the Apple Health app. These apps are really just using the date of your period and the history of your period, you know, timing to predict ovulation. And they're wrong. About 75% of the time they are wrong at predicting ovulating. So those apps aren't, you know, they can't be relied on as a measure of ovulation. Um, I think there are three accessible forms of tracking or measuring ovulation. And then there's um, slightly more invasive, less, less accessible, which is blood testing. So we can get to that. But the first three things for people to be aware of are number one, changes in cervical mucus secretions. And this is where, you know, women have to get to know themselves and basically monitor for changes in their cervical mucus secretions because if they pay attention, they will see that it does change over the course of a cycle and leading into ovulation, it tends to become more abundant, um, slightly more liquidy, more like an egg white solution or egg white consistency. So there's paying attention to that. Some women you know, can't necessarily sense into that very easily. So I would say move on to options two and three. Um, option two is to use BBT or basal body temperature tracking. Um, there's a great tool or great app called Natural Cycles, which is what I would call like an advanced cycle tracking app. So you download the app, it's 11-ish dollars a month, and you buy a thermometer from the app. The thermometer is different to your regular sort of pharmacy-grade thermometer in that it's got more decimal places. It's got two decimal places, so it gives us a more precise temperature. And if you take that temperature every day, you know, when you wake up, before you get up and do anything else at all, that's your BBT or your basal body temperature. And remember I said that progesterone causes our BMR to go up or our temperature to go up. So we can see a discernible difference in temperature post-ovulation. And, you know, we're not looking for just one day of an increased temperature. We're looking for a sustained increase in temperature. So if coming into day 14, you know, your temperatures were hovering between, you know, 36.25 and 36.45, and then you notice after day 14, your temperatures are hovering between 36.6 and 36.75, well, then you would look at that visually on a graph and say, okay, I must have ovulated day 14 because there was a discernible and maintained rise in temperature after that date. So that's BBT and Natural Cycles is an awesome app to use for that. And it confirms ovulation. You can also use luteinizing hormone test strips. This is option three. Um, these are, you know, more commonly referred to as the fertility um, sticks. You know, you might get them from the supermarket uh, and it's basically a urine test um, that 
a female would do leading into her suspected date of ovulation uh, and it's testing for luteinizing hormone and luteinizing hormone is a hormone that will surge just prior to or in the 12 to 36 hours prior to ovulation taking place. It doesn't confirm ovulation because it is possible to have a surge without ovulation, but it is a it is a cost-effective, non-invasive tool that um, women can use to really dial in on when they're possibly or likely ovulating. And another great thing about it is that if someone suspects they're noticing changes in the cervical mucus secretions, but they're wanting to confirm that what they see matches up with um, actual ovulation, then you can do the LH and LH testing, you know, watch those cervical mucus secretions and then, you know, hopefully put the two and two together and learn what your body is trying to tell you within, you know, not having to continue to use the LH test strips. They're the three things. I personally think BBT is a great strategy for any woman to do for at least three months if they've never done it before uh, and using natural cycles because it teaches, it, it does teach so much about the cycle and, and ovulation uh, and it can even be used as a, um, as you know, an advanced fertility awareness method for those who want to, you know, avoid hormonal-based contraceptions uh, and you know don't want to use a barrier method all cycle long. You can use that that um, natural cycles to look at where you're most fertile and prevent unwanted pregnancy. Similarly, you can use it to look at when you're fertile and and try and you know get closer to con- to, to conceiving. So that's a great tool. Um, but outside of blood testing. Um, they would be my three recommendations for people to get in touch with their cycle and when that main event is happening, ovulation. Perfect. I think they're fantastic resources for both the trainer to, I guess, or the coach that is in the female's life to assess their um, external factors that are happening as a result or could be as a result of of stages of your cycle and then, you know, getting to know um, specific stages through those um, tips that you just shared with us before. So thank you, Ali. Welcome. As a coach, it's often hard, isn't it? Because you're required to have a, a broad understanding of multiple different fields to be able to, I guess, prescribe the correct training load and training plan. And I guess from a, a training point of view and something that I've experienced within this within this phase, if your PRE is extremely challenging with all forms of moving, even after you've scaled back the movement and regressed it, then don't be afraid to just do some simple light stretching or some light movement as well. Like I know sometimes um, from a practical setting, I get a bit of imposter syndrome. Like this person is actually paying me to teach them how to stretch or going for a walk. But, you know, if you broaden your horizons and look, and look beyond that one session, I think it's definitely going to benefit that person or it could benefit that person more than trying to hit that PB um, totally. deadlift during that phase. Totally. In that scenario, I would say this person's teaching me how to, it's paying me to teach them how to train holistically. You know, you might not always be there to tap them on the shoulder and go, and say, you know, hold on a second, I think we've got to change things up today. So hopefully if you teach them well, left to their own devices, they'll be able to say to themselves, oh, hold on a second, like, uh, you know, going for a PB today is just not what my body is calling for or going for a run. It's just, it's just not going to happen today. So I'm going to go for a walk run today and learning that that's okay. That's yeah. That's part of the role that you're playing, isn't it? Definitely. And don't be afraid to, I guess, 
progress the movement and don't go from, all right, I can't hit a deadlift today. So now I'm not going to, not going to move at all. It's going through those stages of re- regressing and regressing and finding that sort of sweet spot of what feels comfortable um, while still having movement at the forefront of all of your decisions. I think from a baseline overview, any movement is good movement, right? From a general point of view. So um, if you're regressing and you're finding that comfortable point of view, then don't be afraid to implement that as trainers and have the, I guess, the knowledge behind it to explain that to that person um, to cover all bases. Mm, mm. And, you know, to your point earlier around having, you know, as a trainer, having to know a lot to be able to prescribe, you know, this is, this is just adding to your toolkit. This is building on, you know, how much you as a trainer can support your clients. So it's not to say you couldn't train really well without this net level of knowledge and this information. It's just to highlight that with it, you can further personalize your sessions for your clients. It's the same for nutritionists. You might not understand um, the how the fluctuations in hormones influence to the nitty-gritty your clients' behaviors, cravings, preferences, and requirements. But when you do learn it, it adds just another string to your bow and something else that you can use to get really specific with someone around how they're eating. Definitely. I think just to hammer home the point, Ali, for PTs, and I'm not a big advocate of this, PTs prescribing any form of nutritional advice without the guidance of a a qualified professional, like a nutritionist like yourself or a dietitian, that cutting your calories back just isn't the answer all the time. And um, I think it's really, really point at this point in time particularly for a lot of people going on those six eight week challenges and understanding the the impacts that potentially cutting the calories down to um an unsustainable point at this point of your life or at the point of your cycle can um can have impacts on so yeah hammer home (laughs) stay in your lane and and um really ask for the guidance from people that are specialized in that field i think it's really important to recognize yeah it's it's i can i can see where it becomes hard because you're sitting in front of a client and you want to be able to just give them everything. You want to support them with their goals. And so the helper in you wants to go that next level and start talking details around nutrition. But I think at the end of the day, you got to step back and remember that, okay, for me to provide the best help, I need to just point them in the right direction as to where they can get, um, you know, really personalized information with regards to nutrition it's the same with training I might say to someone you need to do strength training and I think you should probably do it two or three times a week but beyond that I can't really prescribe much so go and speak to Matt or um, ask your friends for about a trainer in your local area that they've loved working with and go and get that prescription definitely I am I could not agree more. Ali, such an insightful conversation. I think um, really in-depth for, for people that I guess are influential from a coaching and trainer's point of view and then people that are just your gen pop um, wanting to understand how to better, I guess, better optimise their health and understand each phases of their of their own menstrual cycle. Um, do you have anything else to add before we wrap up the podcast today? I hope, like, I hope it's been helpful and insightful. Um, I do have articles on my website um, regarding, you know, natural treatment for PMS symptoms and eating for your cycle, um, reasons for why your cycle may have gone missing. So 
for anybody who's listened, you know, whether it be trainers or um, the general population, um, do head to my website, which is nutritionally, and that's nutrition with E-L-L-Y on the end. Um, and you can see in the free, free resources section that there's articles there. Thank you so much for your time and always a pleasure understanding and learning from you, my friend. So thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. Thank you all so much for tuning in this week. I hope you got as much out of today's episode as I did. As usual, let us know that you're listening by screenshotting the cover of the podcast and tagging Euphoria Health in on socials. Don't forget to subscribe to the Euphoria Health podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a nice little review if you're loving the show. Stay happy and stay healthy and let's get moving. I'll speak to you guys next week. The information found on euphoriahealth.com or any of its media platforms is intended for educational purposes only. Any statements made on these platforms are not intended to diagnose, cure, treat or prevent any disease or illness. Please consult with your medical practitioner before making any changes to your current diet and lifestyle.